back. Hi. Welcome, everybody, to Knock Knock I with Dr. Glockenfleck, and I'm your host. I'm by myself. There's no one else to introduce. Uh, it's just me and the dog, although right now the dog, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where the dog is. Milo has escaped me. Uh, he is probably tired of hearing about eyeball stuff. Uh, he's not that interested. Uh, you'd think he would be because he's got eye problems. It's very fitting that I adopted a dog that has eye problems. Uh, maybe we'll get into that someday. But today I'm excited. Uh, it, it's I'm rec- doing another late night recording session uh, alone in my office. Everyone's asleep. It's like 1130 at night. And what else am I going to do? Sleep? No, we're going to talk about ophthalmology. I don't get many chances to do this. I'm really enjoying these episodes, by the way. We've done like two to eight episodes or something like that. And, uh, uh, you know, I I talk about eyeballs in my my job. I work four days a week. And, uh, but I don't get to do it in my content. And so I, I, I'm having a lot of fun with this and uh, trying to come up with new segments, new things to teach you. This Today's topic was a, a highly requested topic, and we're going to get to that in a second. But first, uh, a little bit of eyeball news. I like to try to keep you all up to date with the happenings in ophthalmology land. And usually it's very sad, awful things. And today is no exception. Another person has been murdered by Visine, everyone. I, I don't remember the details. I saw it. It's just like, it, it's like it's so common now. Like, do people not realize? Like, most of the time, it's like murder. Like, someone's trying to kill somebody with with Visine. Sometimes it's even accidental. It's like a like a prank or a joke. It's like this stuff is is deadly. Visine is deadly, you guys. Tetrahydrazoline, vasoconstrictor, heart problems. Don't spike someone's drink with it. You'll go to jail, and then I'm gonna make a podcast episode about you. Because what else am I going to do? Another one. Another person. I can't believe it. Uh, it's, uh, I mean, I can believe it because people are, people make poor decisions, you guys. I make poor decisions sometimes, but I would never make that poor decision. So that's your eyeball news for today. I would love some good eyeball news. You know, even like when, when, uh, when Mr. Beast did the, like where he, paid for cataract surgery for like a thousand people or something like that was great eyeball news i love good eyeball news give me more great wonderful eyeball news what are the awesome things i only hear about the bad stuff you guys send me the good stuff i it's help me find the good things people are doing for eyeballs because i know it's out there i know it is someone's Who's out there lubricating eyeballs? We need more eyeball lubrication success and uh, heartwarming stories. That's what we need. Although I'm not sure any news outlets would run with that. But also I could see that could be kind of boring to, to people who are not me. Anyway, all right. A couple of follow-ups from the uh, cataract episode, which just came out recently a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is a couple things. One thing I didn't mention in the the history of cataract surgery that a couple of people pointed out. Uh, I talked about how the intraocular lenses were were developed and how they were discovered that you could actually put a piece of plastic inside the eye. Uh, it was uh, from a, a, a fighter, a British fighter pilot who came back had some embedded uh, um, plastic in the eye from the cockpit door. And uh, they left it in the eye, and it, 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 the eye did fine. 
And they was like, oh, let's just make an, a, an artificial lens out of this stuff and use it in cataract surgery. And it worked great. Well, there's another very interesting thing. And then in the history of cataract surgery, uh, I, I don't know, if, I don't think I mentioned this, but I mean, cataract surgery has been going on for like centuries. Uh, it's very different now than it was in like the year 400, uh, obviously. The, 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 the first iteration of cataract surgery was actually taking a, a red hot poking stick, very sharp, very pointy, and just putting it into the eye and pushing the lens that had the cataract just out of the way, like pushing it into the back of the eye. It's a procedure. It's actually got a word for it. It's called couching. Couching. Obviously, this is not done anymore. But when there was nothing else to do, you had this big, fat, cloudy lens that made it to where you couldn't see anything. We're talking, this is like for people who had light perception vision. We've talked about that before, right? All you can see is light. You put a bright light in someone's eye, in front of their eye. That's all they can see. They can't see your hand. They can't see fingers. They can't see letters on a chart. Just light or even no light. I don't think I've ever seen a cataract that's so severe that it's no light perception. Like the cataract's so dense, someone cannot see the light. It would be, that would be incredible um, and, and awful. So back in the Middle Ages, I suppose, when someone had a cataract that was so dense that barely any light could get through it, what could they do? They're, they didn't have the technology to remove it from the eye. They, they probably didn't even think about doing that. That, that, that might, might have been an option. So instead, they would take this red hot poker and literally they just put it into the eye real smooth and just push that lens, push that cataract out of the visual axis away from the pupil. Now, what would the vision be like after doing that? Well, and immediately more light would get into the eye because you're now the light doesn't have to go through this cloudy lens. It's just a straight shot right to the retina, but that light would not be focused. It would just be just immediately like bathing the entire retina in bright light. And so there would be no focusing there. It would just be, uh, you know, vision would, you might be able to see someone's hand. You'd be able to see objects moving in front, like a hand moving in front of the face kind of thing. That's probably the limit of what you'd be able to see uh, from couching. And then very shortly after that, you would go blind in that eye, either from infection or glaucoma or severe inflammation from having this big, fat, cloudy lens that's still just hanging out in the eye somewhere, the outcome would not be good. But again, we're talking like, you know, Black Death era of medical history. So like you got a, maybe a, a couple of days of like seeing objects and then you, you, you go blind and you were going blind anyway, or you couldn't see anything. So, so anyway, that's that's couching, and uh, it's an interesting point in history. The earliest uh, documented uh, example of cataract surgery. I wouldn't even call it like surgery. It's just like trauma. <laughs> it's, it's just stabbing someone in the eye. That's all it is, but we're calling it surgery. Um, the other thing, uh, someone asked on YouTube, do cataracts grow back? 
No, they do not. We are removing the cataract. It is gone. You cannot have a cataract grow back. It's one and done. I talk about this with my patients when I sign them up for surgery. Uh, and we talk about all the different types of lenses that you can put in the eye. Uh, this is it. You can't go and redo it. Now, you, you, I mean, technically you can, you can remove the artificial lens and put a different one in. It's called a lens exchange. We try very hard not to do that because the more surgeries on the eye, believe it or not, the eye doesn't like surgery. I mean, most body parts don't, right? So the more surgery you do, the more scar tissue forms, the more you have potential for complications. So we try, we really only want to do one cataract surgery and not exchange the lenses. So, so there's a lot of time pre-op before cataract surgery, talking to patients about uh, the, the, the exact type of lens, what their visual goals are. And, uh, and it, it, it does take some time because society is, is different now. The public people, patients are, they have, they have high expectations because med medicine has advanced so much, especially in ophthalmology. People accept, expect, you know, 2020 vision. They want that perfect vision. And so it just, it, it makes it uh, more challenging for us. That's a good challenge. Like they should, people should have that expectation. Uh, we try to manage expectations the best we can because obviously surgeons aren't perfect. Medicine isn't perfect. The human body is not a calculator. You can't just dial in a vision and then just like make the patient see that and guarantee it. That's not how the human body works. It's not a calculator. Um, but patients have high expectations. And that's part of the reason actually why I loved uh, uh, doing my residency at the University of Iowa. Because uh, taking care of those farmers, I still had high expectations for myself. Like I, I wanted to make their, their, their vision perfect every time I did surgery on them. But the, the other way around, expectations of the, the, the patient had, it was, it, it, it kinda, it was not as stressful. It was a good environment for a, a trainee like me in residency. Because, um, you know, in, 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 on the West Coast where I am now, people expect, they want like 2015 vision. But farmers in Iowa, they were just generally happy to have two eyeballs. And that's a fun, you know, dynamic to, 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 to have because it, it's just, it's just a little less stress. Everyone's a little less stressed there. I mean, everyone that we still want to do a good job and obviously, but like just less stress to try to like make things absolutely 2015 perfect 2012, 2010 fighter pilot vision. Like that's not what farmers in Iowa were wanting. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it was kind of nice, kind of nice. I, I love, I love practicing in Iowa. It was great. We tried to stay, but you know, you know we ended up out here in uh, Portland and, uh, which has also been a lot of fun. We like it out here too. All right. So that's cataracts. Uh, this is the, 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 the last little lingering things. Cataracts do not grow back and couching, couching. All right. Let's take a short, short break. And we'll come back with our patient presentation and topic of the day. All right. Our patient presentation is a quick one. We have a 12-year-old boy who comes in for just a routine exam. You know, he's a little uh, uh, finding the, the, the board at school. Is it still a board? Yeah, I say that. 
I say things like that because I'm I'm becoming an old. I'm like a, I am now 38 years old, and I know things are different in school now than they were when I was in school. And um, uh, so I say bored as if it's like still a chalkboard. There's still a front of the class though, so maybe I'll say that to make me sound that. Now I've just you know you know talked about it so much that everyone's like God, move on from this. But anyway. The front of the classroom is blurry for this poor kid. He's 12 years old. He likes to sit in the back. I did too. And, but now he's like having trouble seeing and he's, you know, not doing as well in school as he should. And, and so all these things, you know, so obviously you come and you know, get the eyes checked and, you know, mom and dad are both nearsighted. So it's no surprise nearsighted. But one of the tests that we do in a routine new exam in a 12 year old is color vision. And sure enough, we put the Ishihara plates in front of him. Ishihara. So if you, those are like the, you've, uh, people have seen those. They're the, uh, the color, color plates where you try to find what the number is in like this color pattern. Uh, and there's like a series of them. We call them Ishihara plates. Uh, and, um, those, those, they're pseudo isochromatic. That's the, the fancy term for them. Uh, but it's, it's, it picks up the most common forms of colorblindness pretty quickly, pretty easily. Well, he did not do very well. He only got, we'll say four out of the 15 plates out of the 15 pictures. He got those right. And so pretty easy, pretty quick to diagnose, uh, colorblindness. And then if you, if you, you get, we get some family history on this child and, and sure enough, dad's also colorblind. What do you know? Interesting. Uh, and so, um, colorblindness is our topic for today. So let's talk about it because I get a lot of questions about colorblindness, uh, and, uh, it, there's, there's a lot of misconceptions, a lot of confusion. People, people, a lot of people think that colorblindness, if someone's colorblind, like they don't see any color that is not true. So let's talk about it. So colorblindness, um, to, to really understand it, we got to start with rods and cones. All right, so we all everybody's heard rods and cones. Those are your photoreceptors. They they sense the light coming into the eye, and turn it into this electrical signal that goes to the optic nerve and back to the brain and to the occipital cortex, which interprets the information and gives you an image. So there are a hundred million rods. Rods. Those that's your dark vision. That's like your dark adapted your your very sensitive vision. Like if you're in a dark room and you see a pinpoint of light. Uh, that, that is your, those are your rods that are sensing that light. So it's, it's rough vision. It's like rough focus. It's not your, your high acuity trying to, to read a medication bottle or a street sign hundred yards away. No rods are your, like just your basic light, dark type of vision. And there's a hundred million of them. That's a lot of rods. There's only 5 million cones. So cones, that's your high acuity vision. That's when you're really wanting to see something, uh, you know, and that's, that's when, you know, you're, you're at a, a, a Taylor Swift concert and, but you're in the, you at the, the very high up last row nosebleed seats and you're trying so hard. You got your binoculars out to see the action. The reason I bring this up is because I we did go see the Taylor Swift the Eras Tour uh, c- concert movie, 
And you know what? I loved it, everyone. It was wonderful. She, wow. I, I have a, I, 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 I'm now getting really into, into something different here, but a quick aside, I have a lot of respect for what Taylor Swift does now. I, I mean, I didn't grow up really with Taylor Swift. She like, she got started. I was really like at the tail end of college and, you know, it just, it wasn't my thing. But now my kids love Taylor Swift, and I, I saw this concert. She's an incredible performer. The lyrics, the, I don't know how she remembers all these songs, like three and a half hours, just in, incredible. So anyway, I don't know, rods and cones. So cones, that's your Taylor Swift vision. <laughs> your five million cones, all right? Uh, and, um, and, and you have, and that's your color vision as well. So your, the cones make up your color vision. There are three different types of cones. Think about it like that. Three different types of cones. There's red cones, there's green cones, and there's blue cones. And through those three different types of cones, the combination of which cones are activated and the combination of the three colors, you get all the color perception that you need. All right? So certain wavelengths of light will activate certain cones. And then the signal is sent to the brain and interprets it as color. If all of your cones are activated, all 5 million of them instantly, simultaneously, what do you see? You would see white light. That is white light. All your cones, all the color, all the, the color cones, all everything is activated. You're going to see white. And so other colors like brown or red or blue, or yellow. It's going to be some combination of those rods. It's not all of them. It's just a certain combination of them that gives you that color perception. So now we get to colorblindness. Colorblindness is a very generic term. It can mean a lot of things. Now, the most common colorblindness is what people know as red-green colorblindness. Now, there's there's a, 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 a the fancy terms for it, uh, the notably uh, deuteronomalous trichromats is the most common form of colorblindness. That's, I don't know. We have crazy words in ophthalmology, okay? But what that means, is, and this is about 5 to 7% of, of males have this, have this. It's, it's, uh, it, it's a, a form of colorblindness that affects mostly the, the, the green cones. All right. And when we say anomalous, all right, that's that means that there's a that's a spectrum. That means there are some of those cones that are abnormal. So that's when I say that people are under the the the, the conception that colorblindness means you don't see any color. That's actually extremely rare for someone just to not see color. There's a wide spectrum of colorblindness. Sometimes the most common form is you just have maybe fewer of the cones, or you have uh, um, um, just uh, some of the cones are not functioning like they should, or they're out of proportion. Like maybe you have fewer green cones, you have a lot more blue cones or a lot more red cones. And so they're just out of proportion. The number, all those 5 million cones, maybe you have 4 million and maybe they're just in the wrong proportion. And so that means that certain colors are going to appear faded or more of a gray hue or, or, or uh, 
uh, uh, just, you know, it, it can blend into different colors. And so your perception of certain colors may be a little bit off in green and, and red are the, is the most common form. Okay. And we're talking, it's uncommon, but still actually relatively common. I would say, um, it's an X linked recessive disorder. That's the most common form of colorblindness, this red green disorder. It's X-linked recessive, which means it's going to affect men much more often, okay? Now, there are forms of colorblindness that affect men and women equally. Uh, that's more of your blue cones, all right? And that is extraordinarily rare, much, much more rare than the red and green. So colorblindness, generally, we're talking about that X-linked recessive male-predominant form of colorblindness. But it's not just like you don't have any color, all right? It's it's um, it's uh, it, it, there's a spectrum there. Okay, yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, these different forms because I think this is kind of interesting. Now, this is I'm actually like like doing this is actually good. Like I, I've already taken my boards, but if I hadn't taken my boards, it'd be good board review stuff because colorblindness is not something that we get too excited about as ophthalmologists because it's so common, uh, uh, generally speaking, as far as uh, uh, ophthalmology conditions go, that in it that it, it's we don't have to talk about it much uh, to our patients, primarily because it doesn't actually impact quality of I mean not, I wouldn't say quality of life. It doesn't impact visual function. Like you can still live a relatively normal life being colorblind because. For the most part, colorblindness is a, an inherited condition. Now, it, and that's what we're, we're talking about, the inherited forms. There are acquired forms, like you can develop abnormal color vision through a variety of different diseases or traumas or things, but, um, but we're talking really about the, the inherited forms of colorblindness. And so there's a few different types, uh, a couple of interesting ones that I can talk about. There's something called rod monochromatism. That's a form of colorblindness. So we've already talked about a couple different forms. Red, green, that's your most common. 5% of males uh, have a, a, some degree of red, green colorblindness, right? Where we talked about it. It's not that you don't have any of red, red cones or green cones. It's just you have like less of them or a little bit out of proportion. Well, this rod monochromatism is when you actually don't have any cones. It's, it's actually, it's, it's quite rare. It's autosomal recessive. Your cones are gone. You don't have any cones, and, uh, and therefore you have a complete achromatopsia, which is a word that means lack of color, no color. And this gets important when we talk about those um, uh, uh, colorblindness glasses that you'll, that you, that you see on social media or whatever. So rod monochromatism, you're born without cones. And typically, uh, this is associated with, with pretty low vision. People don't see well when you don't have any cones, because again, we've already talked about cones give you that high acuity Taylor Swift vision, right? Um, another, uh, interesting, uh, form of colorblindness is, um, uh, blue, there's something called blue cone monochromatism. I'm, I'm referring to my notes here because some of this stuff I, I have to look up whenever I, I, I've, I've learned all this stuff several times, but I don't see it enough. So I got to remind myself, it's okay to look things up from time to time, you guys. 
Um, blue cone monochromatism is probably what exactly what you think. You, you have only one type of cone. That's blue cones. And so uh, whenever you have a like a just a loss of so many of your cones, inevitably you're going to have a decrease in visual acuity. You're just not going to see as well. And so that's why the most common forms of colorblindness, people still see well because they still have all those cones. Again, there's just like a weird number of them in different proportions than they normally are. So you end up with a lack of color perception for different colors. So let's talk about these colorblindness glasses because a lot of the, the questions that I got about color vision really surrounded what's the deal with these colorblindness glasses we've seen these like the inspirational videos of people who are colorblind putting on the glasses and all of a sudden they can see colors and that's great right it's so awesome i love those videos it's 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 same thing when uh, like little kids like little uh, you know you know 12 month olds or 15 month olds will will get glasses for the first time and their eyes just like wow they can see the world um well it's, it's fun to see those videos so how do, I'm using Enchroma as an example. That's the most commonly known uh, brand. There's several brands of, of colorblindness glasses. Uh, I, don't, I don't have any financial interest in any of these things. But um, uh, the colorblindness glasses, the way they work is, and I don't like really know like the, the proprietary technology they use, but basically what they're working is they are, the way they're working is, they are increasing the saturation of color. So for people who have the most common forms of colorblindness, these deuteranomalous trichromats, where you still are, hey, you have all the cones, they're just not quite the right number or the right proportion. Um, the way the color vision works for those people is, right, the, the colors are desaturated. So what these glasses do is they saturate those colors aggressively. So all of a sudden, so I don't know how it does it, but you put the glasses on, all of a sudden those colors that were desaturated because your cones aren't quite right, all of a sudden it'll cause them to look more saturated and have the, the right color to them. But what that means is that not everybody is going to benefit from colorblindness glasses. A certain proportion probably a large proportion of people with uh, with colorblindness will notice an improvement with those glasses but some won't the people who have more severe colorblindness who have a, a significant lack of cones there if you don't have the cones to see color then no matter what glasses you put on no matter how much saturation is increased for those wavelengths of light your brain just can't process that those wavelengths. So you're not going to get the benefit of those colorblindness glasses. I hope that makes sense. This is all kind of high level type of stuff. But, um, and so this actually brings me to uh, my don't do that eyeball tip of the week, you guys. So my, my don't do that eyeball tip of the week. I need a sponsor for this. I should do a does anybody, any like safety glasses companies want to sponsor the don't do that eyeball tip of the week? Uh, here's your don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Don't surprise your friend with like $500 colorblindness glasses because they may not work. Unless you know, unless you know that your friend has the generic, the normal red, green colorblindness, 
Uh, they still have really good acuity. They can see really well. Unless you're like really in tune to what your friend or loved one is going through, like be aware that those glasses don't work for everyone. All right. Let's temper expectations. I don't want you to waste your money. They're expensive. They're, they got to be at least like 500 bucks or so. The ones that I saw. Um, and it would be very unfortunate to, to, to pay all that money for a pair of glasses and your friend puts them on and you're like, okay, I don't, what's the difference? That would be, that would kind of suck. Right. So just, just be aware. I'm not saying don't buy them because it's great. You know, if, if it works for your people, that's fantastic. But, uh, I, I'd say it just, I'm just managing expectations here. Okay. So that's, that's like, you're, you're kind of don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Just be careful. That's the point. All right. What else? Um, I, I, I don't want to belabor the, the colorblindness thing. Cause I, I feel like, I feel like it's, it's a lot of, it's like trying to, some of these things that I talk about, like open globes and corneal abrasions, like those are easy to, to, to picture in your head, right? Um, the, this, all this stuff with the different rods and cones and, and colors, it's, that's, this is a little bit hard to visualize. So I appreciate you sticking with me on this stuff. Uh, let's see, what else can I tell you about, about color vision? That's pretty much it. I, I, I think, I think it's going to surprise people to know that it's not just all or nothing color. Yeah, it's it's for for the vast majority of people that have color, some kind of color deficiency. It's a gradient. It really is. But red green is that the most common form of it. And it runs in families. That's another thing. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go to our ophthalmology fun fact. Ophthalmology fun fact. Uh, let's see. Did. Oh, here. Here it is. I changed it up because I, I think I was going to do something that I'd already done. And it's ridiculous because there's so many fun facts in ophthalmology. Like, I don't need to do the same thing over and over again. All right, here we go. <laughs> this one's about wound healing because we've talked about some wounds. We've talked about open globes and corneal abrasions and stuff. There are some parts of your eye that do not heal at all. There's no healing, no healing going on. And that's because they are avascular uh, and uh, don't get nutrients in any other way, really. So, and this might surprise people. I know there are some smarty pants out there that are probably, there. I know the answer to this. It's the cornea. The cornea doesn't have any blood vessels. All right. You would be wrong. There is healing. The cornea does heal. It creates scar tissue. It's, it, it'll, it'll heal absolutely, uh, but not through vessels. The cornea, the front of the eye is avascular. It heals. All right by getting nutrients and all those wonderful growth factors and healing factors from the aqueous humor. That's right. And your tears, your aqueous, your tears, that it has all that good stuff that helps to heal the cornea. All right. So, uh, the, uh, and I'm, I'm talking about mainly the, I guess I should, I should specify this. We're getting into the weeds here. The stroma, which is that, which is the, 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 the meat, the, your cornea meat, everyone, your cornea meat, uh, heals not through any kind of blood vessel, which is a, a very unusual because healing, typically the healing process is a very vascular thing, but not for the cornea, but it does heal. That's the point. All right. One thing that does not heal is the sclera. So the sclera is the white part of your eye. Now people think, that uh, people always confuse conjunctiva and sclera. Those are two different things. All right, the actual white part of the eye, that's your sclera. The conjunctiva is a translucent, slimy, 
uh, covering that has all the blood vessels in it. The sclera is totally white. There's no blood vessels in that thing. Uh, it does not heal itself. It is avascular and acellular. Uh, it, uh, uh, it doesn't, um, that's why when you have like an open globe or something, you got to suture that thing up real tight and leave those sutures in for quite a while because it's not going to heal on its own. Another thing that doesn't heal in the eye, the iris, the iris. I, one of my mentors, uh, with intraocular surgery is says, don't do not f- with the iris. Excuse my language. Maybe we can bleep that out, but uh, that was his message to me. Uh, because it doesn't heal. Do not, do not mess around with the iris. So anyway, I, I, I think it's interesting. Let's see what heals and what doesn't heal. You wouldn't think that like an organ like the eye, you'd think all of it should heal, but no, there are parts of it that don't. Anyway, uh, that is your ophthalmology fun fact. Um, let's see, what else? Uh, oh, question of the week. Oh, we're not going to do a question from my kids. They, I sent them to bed without asking them anything. So we'll hold off on that for next time. Uh, but a listener question. Uh, this is actually a question that I get asked uh, quite quite often, actually, whenever I go speak at conferences. And I did. I, I spoke at a conference uh, last week, and I got this question from somebody who came up to me. It was like, they they have a they have a, a you know a following they're making content they're just kind of getting started and making content which I I definitely encourage and um, they said they asked how to deal with negative comments and it got me thinking uh, about in, the times in my social media life when I have pissed people off <laughs> and uh, and so we got to talking about that and they're like well how many how many did what, like, which specialty, this is the follow-up I got, which specialty do you piss off the most? And I was thinking, and I think I have pissed off probably somebody from every specialty because you're, you're, someone's going to get mad at what you have to say, especially if you're telling jokes, if you're kind of poking fun at a different specialty in medicine, inevitably you're going to piss someone off. That's just like part of the deal here with this whole medical comedy thing. Um, but as I was talking to this person, one one instance just stuck out in my mind and always makes me laugh when I think about it. Of course, it's Twitter. You got, I don't know what it is with Twitter now X uh, that gets people riled up. There, I ninety five percent of the angry interactions I've had on social media come from that app. It's. I don't know. I, I think it's it's the the way the app works where you're forced to read like the deep thoughts of another human being uh, that you might have nothing in common with. And then and then you give your own deep. Th- it's just, there's a lot of like uh, like um, wild things that people say and um, myself included. And so most of my angry arguments and and terrible things are terrible interactions usually come from that app um (laughs) and this was probably a couple years ago i made a joke about ophthalmologists being eye dentists this is the first time i had used that term this is not something i made up i did not make i wish i had made up the term eye dentist to describe an ophthalmologist because i think it is hilarious it really is a wonderful description of us. It, you know, as 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 much as a lot of ophthalmologists bristle at that term. I mean, come on, like 
we got kind of a dentist schedule, right? And uh, um, and so I, I I don't have any problem with it. <laughs> I think it's I think it's quite funny. Um, but you know who did not find it funny? A very vocal, very angry dentist. I made this dentist so mad, so mad for several days. He was messaging me and I, I don't, I do not block people. I sh- probably should more than I do. I, I'm a big fan of the mute. I mute, I mute a lot of people, but I don't block anybody, uh, unless something egregious happens, but this guy is just going on a, like, how dare you? Uh, you make fun of dentists, and I was like, I make fun of ophthalmologists. What are you talking about? I'm not making fun of dentists. Dentists got a got a great gig going on. They're 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 they've made it. It's they've got a wonderful thing. I mean, the, the teeth, ugh. but you know, generally, like they got a good thing. Uh, and so I'm making fun of ophthalmologists, but he's like, could not get over the fact that like I was like kind of poking fun at dentists throughout all this, and it finally ended with him wishing upon me the worst toothache of my life. So that was a curse. I don't know. It has yet to come to fruition. I'm still worried about that a little bit. Like, does he know something I don't? Is that, is that a thing? Can you do that to somebody? Can you wish upon them a toothache? Uh, so I'm knocking on wood. Hopefully, ugh, I don't want, because teeth kind of gross me out. I, I don't want a toothache. And, uh, but I did find that rather humorous and I still think about it from time to time. I hope that dentist, if you're listening, I hope you're doing all right. Um, anyway, that's our episode for today. You guys, uh, now, you know, everything you need to know about colorblindness. You can talk to your colorblind friends. You can get yourself checked at your next eye appointment. Hey, just be like, Hey, can I have a colorblindness or a color test? It's really easy to do. Um, and, uh, you, you know, if it, it might as well, might as well check it. Right. Uh, and, uh, we talked about the, the color vision, color blindness glasses, and, and we ended it up with, uh, with dentists. I don't know. I, we're going all over the place with these episodes. So, uh, reach out to me if you have any suggestions for topics. Uh, I, I've, I've got a whole long list so far and just got to get to them. And, uh, we're going to eventually turn all of you into ophthalmologists. Again, that's the goal here, obviously. So thank you for listening. Uh, you can email me. Uh, knock knock hi at human-content.com that's where you can send me any of your suggestions uh and um thank you to my producers for putting uh doing all the work on this episode and yeah we'll see you guys next week